501c3 nonprofit, so that means all of your giving is tax deductible. And uh, so anything you give, especially year end, if you're looking to reduce your taxable income, you can give to this church and uh, your income is 100% tax deductible. And if you don't know, we give out giving statements. Uh, the giving statements will be coming out shortly. Um, Shelly's just waiting for me on a couple of things, so don't blame Shelly. <laughs> All right, we're going to do a message. Also, um, support for the orphanage. I was supposed to mention that, but so I mentioned it. I mentioned it. Alex, I mentioned it. I mentioned it. How many orphans have we supported this year? How many did we get? How many? More than 20. We got more than 20 more, 20 more kids supported this year for, for Christmas. So that's, I applaud for you guys, all of you. So we're going to do a Christmas message this morning. And this message is going to be based on Isaiah 9-6. I had this message planned and then the words have been shared, Isaiah 9-6. And then we've been singing the song about Isaiah 9-6. And so it's really, um, it's really kind of cool how it all comes together. So I'll read it for you. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a son is given. Let's say this together. Unto us a son is given. Unto us a child is born. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. He's a son that was given. He's a child that was born. This is an interesting thing, the way the prophet writes this. He writes this because he's seeing, like Old Testament prophets were called seers. They would see in prophetic revelation and prophetic vision, and they would connect that, and the Spirit of God would be moving with them. And so this prophet is seeing a child that is born, but he's also seeing a son that is being given, which is exactly what Jesus was. He's an earthly child born, but he's the son and the, the heir of heaven who, who gave and came and gave himself for us. Say this with me. Christmas is not about what I get or what I give. Christmas is about what the Lord gave. We're all looking for the meaning of Christmas. Jesus is the meaning of Christmas. Come on. He is the meaning of Christmas. The Lord's a giver. He loves to give. And I was reading on uh, Genesis and I just last week, and I was reading through Genesis, and it says, And the Lord God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Right after he creates Adam and Eve, he blesses them. So the first role of, our, of, of mankind, God mirrors and models the first role of humanity was to be blessed. And then to take that blessing and be fruitful and multiply. Our job in heaven's economy is to enter into God's blessing. To commune with the Lord in such a way that his blessing, his government, begins to flow in our lives. We're born for that purpose. The Lord loves to give. But gifts mean very little without love, don't they? You know, you know, like when somebody throws it at you, here, just take it, Sebastian. Here, just have it, man. You just throw it at you. That's not really a gift. But when you give it with love and you give it with meaning and you give it with purpose, that, that's when a gift is special. Or when somebody actually thinks through what they're giving you. Any, anybody like that? Yeah? I know my wife likes it when I actually think through what I'm giving her. Right? Ladies, you in the room here? When you actually think through? what she wants or what, she, what I can give her. God gave this gift out of love. And so Jesus is a gift that was given to us out of love to bring salvation 
and to bring light. John 3.16, for God so loved that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And God did not send his son into the world to bring condemnation. He sent the son in order that the world through him might be saved. And the one who believes in him, in what, who he is and what he has done and who he is eternally, this one will not be condemned. But the one who does not believe is condemned already because they have not believed in the only one, the Son of God, the, only, the one and only Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and that men choose darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Jesus came to bring salvation and light. He came to free us from the condemnation of sin. Come on, yes. The common human understanding is that we're all good people. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're born hopeless and helpless. There's a doctrine in the Bible that, that teaches, and it's very clear, it isn't called this in the scripture, but theologians have given it the name, human depravity. It comes from verses like, I know that in my flesh dwells no good thing. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Right? And so it comes from this understanding that even though we might have outwardly deeds, our heart is self-natured. Our heart is self-oriented. Man is not inherently good. We're not. We come from a good source, but sin has corrupted us all. Just look at your life. If you were a Christian, if you just came to Christ, people that come to Christ when they're older, they look back on their life and they said, I wish I would have done this sooner. Because our lives are full of corruption and full of poor choices and full of selfish choices. We're not inherently good. We're fallen. We're a fallen and broken race. And we have inherited something called iniquity. Our ancestor Adam sinned and pushed away from God, separating himself from God. That sin carries with it a power that's called iniquity. Iniquity is issues in the bloodline. In other words, it's a sin that can be transferred. Every person in this room, red, yellow, black, white, I don't care. You're all precious in his sight. Doesn't matter, right? We're all, we all, Jesus loves us all, right? We all, all of us come from a common ancestry. There's one race in the Bible, and it's the human race. It's true. There's no such thing as race in the Bible. The Bible doesn't even have the word race. It doesn't exist. What, what the word is used is ethnos. It doesn't even use race, right? Ethnos means different. We're all ethnic, right? We're a bunch of ethnos. We're a bunch of different people. We're all different, but we come from one race. It's the human race. And so God, our ancestors were all descendants of the bloodline of Adam, apart from Christ. Adam sinned, brought into his bloodline iniquity, a sin of condemnation that relates to the separation. You understand that? And so all of us are born separated from God. You don't have to do anything. You're born separated. But what you do is that separation and that iniquity manifests itself. That innocent, cute little baby, within a year or two, is going to be showing you all the manifestation that sin is all about. Because kids don't hide their sin. Yeah? They lie right to your face. They got cookie all over their face. You been eating cookies? No. No, no. <laughs> Did you take your sister's toy? No. Why is it in your hand? I don't know. <laughs> all of the loveliness, it comes right out. As adults, we hide it real well. But we're born separated. 
And the sin, the outward sin is a manifestation of the separation. The separation, what it really is, is it's narcissism. It's self-seeking. Me, myself, and I, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's not about self-interest. It's about self-interest at the expense of another. All of us have self-interest, but we're not to act in self-interest at the expense of another. And that's what sin does. Sin acts in self-interest at the expense of another. It's the sin of condemnation. It's the sin of separation. I am God. So we're all born of Adam. We're born with iniquity. That iniquity has come upon us all. That's why Jesus came. God so loved the world. Sin brings with it darkness. Sin brings with it corruption, sickness, disease. All of the calamity that is in the earth is because sin has infected this earth to its deepest levels. This world is not under, this Bible says this world is under the sway of the evil one. So when you look at corruption in this world, that's not God's will. When you look at murder and rape and all of the destruction and the wars and the poverties, none of that is God's will. None of that. The Bible says the earth lies under the sway of the evil one. The earth is earnestly awaiting at the fullness of its redemption. Jesus has come and he will redeem you and I. When he comes again, he'll redeem you and I fully and he will fully redeem the earth. That's why creation is groaning. Creation is groaning. It's still under the weight and the burden of a system. Sin becomes systematic. We have governmental systems that systematize sin. Take from you and enrich themselves. Sound familiar? Right? Give some money to Ukraine, take all your money. I just read they gave $16 million to Dade County to fix our roads. Ooh, $16 million to fix our roads. We just gave $6 billion to Ukraine. They got their hand in the pile, all the way that's going out the door. All that money going out, and they're taking, they're just shoveling it in. Systematic evil, systematic injustice, court systems that are lined up to oppress the poor, to destroy the poor. You go into a court system without a, if you have a lawyer, you, your odds maybe are 20, 20%. If you don't have a lawyer, your odds are negative 20%. We have systematized injustice within our court systems. We have systems that grind and corrupt and suppress and destroy in the poor. It's a fact. That's not God's will. It's a systemic evil that is the product of a sin and the fallenness of man. Our founding fathers, when they founded this country, they understood sin. That's why we have something in America called the, 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 uh, where the powers are separated, separation of powers. Our powers are not consolidated. We have the legislative, the judicial, and the executive branch of government. We have three different branches of government. We have a diversity of representatives, and we still are screwed up. They diversified this government to, the most, to their highest ability. They diversified the government on purpose because they knew that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. What they should have instilled was term limits. That was the only thing they should have probably put in there because the more entrenched these politicians become, the more powerful they become, and the more systematized they create systems that benefit themselves and exclude you. Systemic evil, Christian. Not God's will. Not God's will. Amen. The Bible says when Jesus comes, there will be no peace until Shiloh comes. <laughs> but when Shiloh comes, it's going to be world without end. That's going to be perfect. Justice will be perfect. Equity will be perfect. 
All will prosper. None will be left behind. It'll be a, system, a perfect system of government. We don't even, we can't even, we can't even fathom that exactly. Yeah? Above and beyond what we could ask or think. It doesn't make, we can't even, we've never known, we can't even conceptualize that. But this is what sin has done. Sin has brought us into darkness and corruption and all of the things. And this is why Jesus came. He came to save us from our sins. He came to deliver us from the evil that we've come into. The word condemnation is a Greek word, krino, and it means crisis. Every crisis of life is the result of sin. Every single crisis is the result of sin. Just think about the crises in your life. And then all you got to do is figure out where the selfishness was where somebody acted selfishly against you or something. Crisis is a result of something stupid, ignorant, arrogant, something of the like. We're separated from God and man because we are in Adam. Say this, in Adam, we are under sin. Sin is judged. Therefore, man is under the judgment of sin. This concept is important to understand. God never judged man. He never judged man. He judged sin. And so long as man abides under sin, he abides within, under the judgment of sin. But when you come to Jesus, you come out of sin, out of the bloodline of Adam, into the bloodline of Christ. You come out from under the condemnation of sin, and you come into the righteousness of Christ. And there's a shift. There's a spiritual shift. Do you understand that? The condemnation is over man's rejection of God. There's the sin of rejection, which is the sin of offense, harimatia. And there's the sin of stupidity, which is harimatano. So I'm born again. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The sin of offense is removed in my life. He is my Lord and my master. But the sin of, the sin of stupidity still exists. I still do stupid things. Do you understand that? So it's possible to be born again and still sin. But your sin is not under condemnation. The sin that is condemned is the sin of offense. The sin that says you're God. He's not. That's why when you're born again, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets you free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8.1. You're free because you gave your life to Christ. You're not condemned. You can be born again, going to heaven, and still live like the devil. Yeah. 2 Corinthians. All men's works will be tried. They will be tried by fire. Those whose works are insufficient or, or not unto the Lord will be burned up, but they themselves will be saved, but by fire. In other words, there'll be people that will get into heaven and their rear ends will be smoking. You know what I'm saying? We'll know them. We'll know them. Oh, that guy, look at him. His butt's warm. Whew. 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 Man. Whew. I got in, man. I got in. <laughs> And there will be others who worked and labored and followed the things of God and served Jesus and, you know, communed with him. It's about partnership. And in that partnership, they've been, they, they have treasure. And their lives will be tried and their lives will be tested. And the Bible says there will be gold and silver. And that's what you'll be able to offer him as tribute. And when you, don't you want to give Jesus something when you, come, when you come before him? I do. I'm not coming empty-handed. By God, help me. <laughs> He came to save us. What does it mean to be saved? This is important too. The sin of separation. He brings, back, he brings us righteousness out of the blood of Adam into the blood of Christ. That's why we're saved by the blood of Jesus. That's why the blood of Jesus matters. The word saved in the Greek is satorion. It is an action. So salvation comes in an act. Say this. There is an act of salvation. And there is the fruit of salvation. 
So Satorion is the action, the separation from you. The, the, you have been brought out of, out of darkness into light, brought from out under the condemnation of sin, out, under, out of the bloodline of Adam into Christ, Satorion. The fruit of salvation is not just saved, it means healed and delivered. So we see that salvation isn't just a one-time act. It can be progressive. There's healing, right? People come to Christ, and they come from broken backgrounds. There needs to be healing. Hmm? Anybody here? Right? There needs to be deliverance. You partnered with a bunch of stuff that you shouldn't have partnered with. Huh? You have to legally enforce that and rid yourself of that. Satorion is a one-time act, but there is a benefit of following the Lord where you become healed and delivered of the lingering after effects of a former life that you no longer own. Sin makes us weak, wayward, and produces wickedness out of our lives. When we become born again, we get strength in our weakness. He brings us out of our waywardness, and he transforms our wickedness into righteousness. Anybody ever notice that? I, I notice this right away, right? I didn't want to do the things that I used to do anymore. Hmm? I didn't want to go and do the things I used to do. Yeah? I tell the story. My wife hates it when I tell the story. But, hey, it's my story, so I'm going to tell it. <laughs> Some of you will relate to this. Some of you will be like, stretch your hands towards this pastor. So I was in school. I got saved pretty young. I got saved when I was, um, I just turned 21 and I gave my life to Christ. I knew, I knew some, you know, I had my, my grandmother who was very faithful and I believed that I had received the message, but I certainly wasn't living the way that I should be living. And when I came back to Christ, everything changed in me. And I went and saw all my friends, the guys I used to party with. They picked me up at the airport. And some of you are going to relate to this. They picked me up and they got a bunch of beers in the car. They're like, yeah, man, we're going to tear it up, Kevin. We're going to tear it up. And I'm like, I was a total party pooper, man. I'm like, hey, man, I'm not, I mean, I, I'm not, I was, a, I was in a different zone, but I'm like, I don't drink. They're like, what? You don't drink? I had no desire to drink. None. I had no desire to do the things that I did before. None, none at all. Th that's what I, one of the other things that marked my belief and when I came to Christ was when I wasn't cussing anymore. <laughs> And again, some of y'all, you've been, you're more holier than me, so stretch your hands towards me. Y'all are holy. Ooh, I'm holy. That poor guy. I spoke two languages. I spoke English and profanity. <laughs> I didn't swear anymore. That was a marker to me. That was a marker to me. It was incredible to me. I was a man of unclean lips. Dwelling among a people of unclean lips. And my wickedness was turned to righteousness. Something was set different in my life. Something that, I, that I, I couldn't change on my own. God did it for me. This is the beauty. This is why the son was given, Christian. This is why the son was given to change you in a manner that you can't change yourself. He was conceived by a divine act and he was born by natural means. This is interesting. The placenta of the woman when she carries the child, the blood in the mother and the blood of the child never mix. Did you know that? The blood never mixes. The blood fills the placenta. The baby draws the oxygen from the blood within the placenta, well, from the blood that comes into the placenta from the mother, but, but the blood of the baby and the blood of the mother never mix. Jesus was born from the blood of heaven. Came in the, oh, come on. Yes. He didn't carry Adam's seed. He didn't carry Adam's iniquity. He didn't carry it. He came as us that we might become like him. 
That's why he's able to save you and me to the uttermost. What can wash away my sins? <laughs> Come on. He came in the times and the seasons. The light came in to the darkness of humanity. He came to save us, and he came to give us the light of the way. Galatians 4 says, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of this world system, systematic darkness. But in the fullness of the time, when the time was just right, Jesus came. Born of a woman, born under law, he came into this system to break it, to break it from the inside out. He didn't come as a victim. He came on a mission. He, did, he came looking for trouble. Jesus came in. He's like, he came looking for trouble that he might destroy the works of the devil. For this reason, the Son of God was manifest and came forth to destroy the works of the devil. He didn't dance around it. He didn't run. He didn't run. Only time he withdrew was because he was waiting for the specific time. He was waiting for the specific time he was going to be crucified on Passover on a specific time in a specific window. And he waited for the timing before he gave his life away. And when he gave his life away, he gave it away. He provoked his enemies to rage because he knew they wanted to kill him. Born of a woman, born under law, to redeem, that's you and me, those who are bound by the system that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. He came at the fullness of time to bring his sons and daughters back to himself. To bring sons and daughters. He's going to bring you back as a slave. He didn't bring you back as a servant. When you come to Christ, you're a son or a daughter on your first day. Day one. Full rights of inheritance. Day one. Day one. You don't earn it. He gives it. He gives it. There's nobody like Jesus. In the fullness of time, there was a common language, there was a common infrastructure, and a common government. And the Lord came to use the unity of that Roman system. It was very unified. All of the city-states were unified. Rome had bludgeoned the world into submission. <laughs> you didn't submit, they're going to beat you into submission. Rome was on a rampage. Anybody that opposed them, they ground them to powder. Their biggest enemy, the Carthinians, it was like a 150-year war they fought with them called the Punic Wars. When Rome finally defeated Carthage, they burned the city to the ground and they salted it so that nothing would grow there for 100 years. You're not going to submit? Oh, okay. You're, you're going to fight us? Okay. That's how they treated their rivals. If you were an enemy of Rome, they would kill you in the most public and masochistic manner. They didn't invent crucifixion, but they perfected it. The Assyrians were the first, to the first to crucify. They would run sticks. They would hang you on a stick. And some Roman general came along and said, huh, I think we can do better. <laughs> so they created crucifixion. These were professional executioners. They could literally get you to live in a certain time window by the way they positioned your body because they knew how your body was, they, they had crucified people for so many, so many times. They would line the roads. Every third one would be crucified. They'd defeat an army. The general would walk down, and there's not uncommon. They would give orders. Every third prisoner was to be crucified. And so the centurion would be going down. One, two, oh, not your day. One, two, oh, not your day. Bad day for you. This is who these Romans were. They weren't nice people. 
They were very, they had beat the world into submission. They had a leader at this time. His name was Augustus. His name meant augur or augustas, which meant divine one. So he proclaimed himself a god. The Senate gave him the title of god. So when Jesus was born, he was born in the time when the Roman emperor declared himself a god. So we have a divine appearing. We have an antichrist appearing at the same time that Jesus is appearing. Huh. Wow, there's some parallels there, but that's another story for another day. His name was Octavius Gaius, and the Roman Senate gave him the, word, gave him the title Augustus. The month of August is named after him because we're on a Roman calendar. I didn't you know that either. It means divine one. He, he comes into power, and he creates a global census, right? He takes over. He wants to know how many people are under my, under my, under my government, how many people are under my empire? I need to know how many people because I need to know how much money I can start charging. So he creates a census, a global census. Rome had never done a global census before. This was rare. This was unusual. So this global census happened, and it happened in Israel, and everybody had to go back to their birth city. And so Mary and Joseph, who were living in Nazareth, had to go to Bethlehem because that was the town of their birth. God uses an empire to force the first family to go to Bethlehem that the prophecy would be fulfilled of Micah, of Bethlehem, where Christ would be born. They were living in Nazareth. They weren't anywhere near Bethlehem. They didn't want to go to Bethlehem. Would you want to go to Bethlehem? Would you want to drag your wife on a donkey? She's nine months pregnant. You're going to put that woman on a donkey? You're like, bro, I don't want to ride in an SUV with my wife when she's nine months pregnant. You got her on a <laughs> All the men are laughing. All the women are like, what? You know, I'm not laughing, honey. I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing. It's just true, though, but I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing. That woman is nine months pregnant, and she's riding on a donkey. Miles upon mile upon mile. Crazy. Hardship was imposed. Say this. Just because there's hardship doesn't mean Jesus isn't in it. God gives you a word. God gives you a direction, and it's hard. Oh, it's hard. It's hard. Oh, God can't be in this. It's hard. It's hard. God gave them a word, and it was hard. And they had to bear the weight of what God had told them. And they had to bear the weight and the burden of what God had given them. And they had to use that, and they had to go through pain and circumstance and wait for it. Rejection. Reje oh, God, no, we can't be rejected. Somebody hurt my feelings. This can't be God. It's so hard. It's, this thing I'm carrying is so heavy. Maybe it's divine. This journey to carry this heavy thing, it's so hard. Oh, this can't be God. It's because it's hard doesn't mean, guys, why we, we don't achieve anything. Because we think it's all luxury. Lazy boy Christians. Remote control with a lazy boy in our hands. We don't like the scene. We just change the channel. Microwave. We don't even do microwave. We do Grubhub. You know, we just call on the phone. And then we send our kids to get the food because we don't even get out of the chair. Hey, son, go get that cheeseburger for me, man. I already paid for it. Sitting there doing nothing, never caring, not understanding what, what God does, how he works. The way he works was difficult, but he was in it. Then they had to face rejection. You're going to do something for the Lord, you're going to be rejected. You're gonna do, if you cannot accept rejection, you're never going to do anything. They showed up at the end. They don't have any room. I don't have any room at the end. The innkeeper wasn't thinking about that pregnant woman. She couldn't pay $500 a night for that hotel. He knew the whole world was coming to Bethlehem. He's got to charge max rates for his Airbnb. It's a Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? 
uh, you know, he's got a window. You know, you can't pay 500 bucks. No, my room, my hotel's full. But hey, I got a, I got a barn for you. Rejected. Rejected. Sometimes the things God gives birth to you in your life come out of rejection. Think about that one. And the world rejects you. And people reject you. Everybody rejecting you. How about this one? Rejecting yourself. That's a big one, too. <laughs> the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, a great light is calm. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised under, in Galilee under the shadow of the Roman government, Caesarea Philippi, or excuse me, Caesarea in the northern part of Israel. That's where the Roman seat of government was. So if you were going to be executed, they didn't execute you in Jerusalem. They sent you up to Caesarea that was in the north, and that's where they did all the killing, and the Romans did killings. Historian says blood flowed from Caesarea. Blood flowed. And so you have Jesus being raised under the shadow of death, Jesus being raised under the, with the auspice of the Roman government just to the north of him, under the shadow of darkness. Where does Jesus go? Boom, right into the darkness. The sun was given to, to bring light and to bring salvation. It doesn't matter what your darkness is. It doesn't matter what the shadow and the pain in your life is. Jesus will go to the pain if you'll let him. Jesus will go to the darkness if you'll let him. He's not afraid. He's not afraid. It's one of the things I was thinking about. Um, <laughs> so you think about Lucifer? No, I was thinking about the name Lucifer. The name Lucifer is lucent. It means light bearer. Light bearer. Lucifer's rebellion was that he thought he was light. He's not light. He was the light bearer. The name for Jesus is phos, which means source of light. So the light that Jesus brings is phos. He's the source of, life of light itself. And what Lucifer was, was he was just one who bore the source of light. He, you see what I'm saying? He was not light. He thought himself to be light. This is part of the pride and the corruption of his heart. As he saw the one who was illuminated, he saw the one who was fos, and he said, well, I'm fos. I'm light too. I'm equal with him. In fact, I'm not just equal with him. I can do a better job than him. And rebellion, corrupted, pride because of his beauty, but he thought he was light. <laughs> he wasn't light. Jesus is light. He is the fos, Christian. Darkness runs, man. He will illuminate the darkest light, darkest night. He's the light of the world. He's the light of hope. Talking to a lot of people. Man, there's a lot of people going through hardships this time. I'm, I'm just going to go a couple minutes late, but I, wanna, but I just want to minister this to you. There's a lot of people. I mean, the people that I've been dealing with, they're going through. A lot of people are going through hardships. A lot of people going through hardships. And I don't know if it's the time of the year or what it is, but there's just a lot of hardships coming into people's lives. And sometimes that hardship is really overwhelming. And I've been talking with this person, and you know, one guy, I've been talking to him, and he's just in a really, you know, to him, it seems hopeless. I'm like, it's not hopeless. It's like, it's not hopeless. I'm like, it's, it sucks, but it's not hopeless. <laughs> this isn't your ideal situation, but it's not hopeless. You have the Lord, and the Lord can always turn it around. He can work it out for your good, Christian. He will not say this with me. He will not work it out the way that I expect, but he will work it out. His promise is deliverance. His promise is victory. 
He will deliver on that promise, but he won't do it the way you expect. He might, but most likely he won't. This has been my problem. I'm like, he's like, did I deliver you, Kevin? I'm like, yeah, but that isn't the way I expected. He's like, well, am I obligated to my word or am I obligated to your expectation? He obligates himself to what he says. So if he said it, you can cash the check. He means it. He's going to do it. If he said it, he will do it. He will obligate himself. Have I not said it? Will I not do it? Right? Have I not purposed it in my heart? Will I not bring it to pass? God said, if I purpose it in my heart, it will come. And if I say it, I'm going to do it. You need a word. And then you need to ask the Lord to have expectation within the context of that word. Not having your own expectations, but Lord, give me an expectation within the word that you showed me. Help me to have expectancy because we are to have expectancy. But that expectancy is not on our own. You know, we expect it. We think, oh, it's going to come. You know, uh, here's, well, this is married people. They think, oh, my wife's going to come through the door and it's going to be like radiant fireworks. Boom. Oons, 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 oons. I mean, that girl's going to come and it's going to be like, woo. What if she just appeared beside you? What if she was there all along? What if, like Adam, he opened your eyes and you saw something that was in front of you the whole time? What if he did that? And that's when people step back and they go, well, she can't be my wife. She can't be my wife. She can't be my wife. Why? Because she doesn't match your expectation. But she matches God's word. She doesn't match your expectation. Guys, they do the same thing with men. Ooh, ooh, he's going to come in a Mercedes. He's going to be rich. He's going to be godly. He might even have a twinkling gold teeth, tooth on the side. A little snarl, yeah, girl. What if he doesn't come like that? What if he comes common? What if he comes as a Joe jobber? A guy with nothing but potential. What if he comes that way? I watch people dismiss it all the time. They dismiss it because it doesn't meet their expectation. Or then when they start relating, here's the big one. Here's the big one. Once the relationship breaks the emotional barrier, <gasps> and the emotional barrier will be broken. And you know what happens when the emotional barrier is broken? All your imperfections come out. All your impatience, you know, her little, you know, OCDs, your little anger. Once the emotional barrier is broken, People retreat from the relationship because they say, oh, that can't be God. That can't be God. That's what happens. It's not your expectation, but it is his word. You pray and you ask God to change things. You pray and you ask God to change things. I've had this happen so many times in my life. And the reason I can tell you this is because I believe God for things. I'm not reading this in a book and I'm not telling you somebody else's story. I'm telling you my own because I live this. And God brings something to me and it's not what I'm expecting, and I'm like, what do you want me to do with this? And he said, didn't you ask me for this, Kevin? I'm kind of like, yeah, but not exactly like this. (laughs) This isn't exactly the way I was picturing this. And he said, well, how do you think transformation is going to happen? How do you think change is going to happen? What if I give it to you in a raw form and I expect you to work it out with me? What if I do that? This is how God works, guys. It's how he works. He's obligated to his word. He'll fix your marriage, but not in the way you want. Here's married couples. Fix her! 
Fix her. It's her. It's all her. Bro, it's you. All the men in the room, your wife may be a bag of cats. This may be true. But God is going to start with you. He does it every single time. Every single time. You say it's not fair. There's nothing fair about it. It's just how he works. He starts with the dude. And then from the man, he creates love. And from the love, he creates influence. It's true. Women tend to be far more in tune with their dysfunction. I didn't say they didn't hide it, but they're more aware that they're, they're, more aware that they're screwed up. They hide it really big. Some of them hide it really well. Some don't, but another story. God will fix your marriage, but not in the way that you expect. A lot of times women pray for their husbands, and their husbands get worse before they get better. He got worse. He's worse. Oh, my gosh, he's worse. God's bringing him to the end of himself. He's showing him that he is insufficient. He's showing them that he, is not, he cannot be self-reliant. God brings him to you. That's not what you wanted. I didn't want you to do that. I just wanted you to bring him through a car wash and just change him. You know, that's all I wanted. I didn't want you to. That's not how he works. It's not how he works. He's not obligated to your expectation, but he will do what he says. He'll do it. He'll heal you. He'll deliver you. He'll free you. He'll restore you, but not the way you expect. When he gives you that word of what he's going to do, and he will. Some of you in this room, you've had a word. God said he's going to restore my marriage, so I'm waiting for him to fix her. Dude, your expectations are wrong. Your expectations are wrong. Lord, you take the word that he said he's going to fix it, and you ask him, how's it going to happen? What do you need me to do? And he may tell you to sit down and shut up. Right? Get off her back. Leave her alone. Get off his back. Leave him alone. Sometimes God's got to do a work that precedes your work. Right? And I'll give you another one. If you find yourself to be a control freak, you go to Jesus and say, Holy Spirit, what is broken in me and what is missing in me that forces me to try to dominate with control? <gasps> it couldn't, you know, because what we do is we look at brokenness and we think to ourselves, it couldn't possibly be me. It's everybody else, but it could not possibly be me. It's the way people treat me. Well, I react like that because of the way they treat me. No, you react like that because there's a deeper brokenness. Things shouldn't affect you. They shouldn't affect you. This is part of maturity and development. We're mastered by nothing. And if things are affecting you and if things are provoking you and taking you to places, it's something you need to look at. Shelly's already got me, got me scheduled for an inner healing class. That's why I was laughing. I was like, oh, She's already throwing a date up there, so I guess I'm doing an inner healing class on January the 28th. Anyway, another story. That's what it's part of. If you want healing, you want restoration, you have to be willing to go to, the, go to those places. He's the light in the darkness. The gospel's raw and gritty. Transformation's raw and gritty. It's ugly, but it becomes beautiful. It's true. It's true. <laughs> My life got real ugly before it got real beautiful. My life got real, real ugly. Things he's doing even in my life now. Things that are going on right now. I'm like, this is not what I expected. This is not the way that I thought this was going to go. And the Lord's like, am I doing it? Can you not see my purpose in this? And I'm like, I can see clearly your purpose in this. But this is not what I expected. And so rather than fighting with my expectation, I say, okay, Lord, how do I partner with what you're doing? What, what, you're telling me this is what you're doing or you're showing me that this, you're telling me this 
and you're showing me that this is what you're doing in relationship with that. How do I partner with that? You're fixing my marriage. How do I partner with that, Lord? What do you want from me? <laughs> do you really want, you want, I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. This is where it all comes down, man. This power of this gospel can transform every part of your life. It can change everything. The government of heaven can turn it all around. But you got to be a part of the process. All right, so let's keep going. Sorry. <laughs> Son was given to restore relationships. We're talking about relationships. We're not created like, you know, what, what do we have? Siri? Anybody, anybody here use Siri? Use Siri? No? Hey, Siri. Anybody do that one? No? How about, hey, Google? You got that one? Right? You got voice tracking devices within your home? Big brother is listening. And anyway, we, God could have made us as voice-powered responders, but we're not. We are independent. We're not mechanical. We have a choice. Our choices say with me. My choices will determine my destiny. 100%. 100%. Your todays determine your tomorrows. The choices you make today will determine your tomorrows. Your tomorrows will determine your future, and your future will determine where your life ultimately ends. And the, and the destination. God came to, Jesus came to restore relationships. We broke in relationship. So this, this is what's amazing to me. We broke relationship with the Lord, but God still wanted the relationship. What? Adam broke the relationship, but the Lord still wanted the relationship. Even after dysfunctional generations, even after sin has made us all jacked up, he still wants to have relationship with us. And he was willing to give everything to restore that relationship. Nothing else mattered to him. There wasn't a higher price the father could pay. He could not pay a higher price. If there was a higher price that Jesus could pay for you, he would have paid, the father would have paid it. He would have paid it. That's how valuable you are to him. This is why your value and worth is not determined by you. Your value and worth is not determined by circumstances, situations, past. You are not given the authority to determine your value and worth. And you need to stop giving other people the authority to determine your value and worth. The only one who has the right to determine your value and worth is the one who paid everything for you. And you're loved on your worst day. He doesn't agree with you, but he still loves you. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, like it, but he still loves you. He loves you on your worst day. Amen. He's for you, and he's not against you. He's willing to give everything for you. If there was a treasure he could have given, he would have given it. The highest price had to be paid, and Jesus said, I'll pay it. I'll pay it. Counsel of the Godhead, beautiful story. Father lost his sons and daughters. And the son said, I'll go for them. I'll become as them that they could come home. And in the Holy Spirit, you see the communion of the Godhead is so beautiful. The unity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Elohim, and how they respond to one another. They're in mutual submission and servitude. Always servitude, never exaltation. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're never exalting themselves. The Father is exalting the Son. The Son is exalting the Father. The Father is exalting the Spirit. The Spirit is exalting the Father. Jesus is exalting the Spirit. The Spirit is exalting the Lord. They never exalt themselves. There's always a preferential treatment, and there's always a mutual servitude among the Godhead. It's one of the most beautiful things you could ever imagine. The father wants his children back, and the son says, I'll go. I'll give it all. 
I'll leave it all, and I'll go into the sewer, which is basically what he did. I'll go down there with the rats. In all of that darkness, I'll go. I'll give my life. I'll allow lesser beings to destroy me. I'll allow them to mock me, humiliate me, destroy me. And I will allow the sin of the devil to come upon me, that the condemnation that exists upon them would come upon me, and that I will break it. And the Holy Spirit's like, what? I'm getting in on this. So the Holy Spirit says, if you do that, then I'll live with them. And I will be the one who will manifest the power of this kingdom to them if they will listen to me. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. It's so crazy. We have, the, we have the option to believe or we have the option to reject Jesus. You don't always have to understand Jesus, but you need to believe in him. You don't have to understand. You're like, I don't understand this. You don't have to understand it. You fly in an airplane. You don't understand laws of thermal or lift and thrust. You don't understand that. We walk around on, we don't understand gravity. We don't understand all of these things. There's, you don't have to understand the, the, the salvation. The Bible uses the word faith. Faith is not an internal belief system. Say this with me. Faith, faith. means to lay hold of. It's the Greek word pistas. And it means you grab it. You grab it. You don't feel it. Well, I don't feel it. I don't feel it. You know, I don't believe it. No, you grab it. Jesus is Savior. Mm. Yep, he is. <laughs> This is a promise of God. You grab it. You grab it. The storm's raging around you. You try to find the mast. You try to find the pole, the support system that is the word of God. And you lay hold of it. And you hold the promise through the storm. That's faith. That's faith. Faith has no feeling. You're not going to feel faith. You embrace it. You lay hold of it. The sun was come to fill the void, the emptiness, all of the emptiness in our life. Jesus is the desire of nations. Hardships drive us to him. Hardships drive us to him. Acts 17, I don't have time to read it. But it talks about the boundaries and the things that happen within our, the, the existence of our world are created to drive us to him. To drive us. How many of anybody, you cry out to Jesus. It's amazing to me. I have a guy on the phone, he's calling me. The guy's a Christian, but he probably lived very worldly. Now, all of a sudden, he's calling on Jesus left and right because he's in a hardship. It, he's in a hardship. Ring, ring, Jeremiah 33, 3, I'm calling on the Lord. I'm calling on the Lord. <laughs> hardships drive us to the Lord. Hardships enable us to come to the Lord that we would experience his goodness and, our, and his kindness. And when we experience his goodness and his kindness, then we would follow but most often we experience his goodness and kindness, and then we go right back to the stupid things we were doing before. Whew! Got out of that one. Right back. I call them Lone Ranger Christians. You know? Come and get, they come in filled with arrows. Jesus takes all the arrows out of them, reconstitutes their life, sets their life back in order, and they saddle up and run off again. On their merry way. Lone Ranger. They don't even have a tonto. They're doing it their way. Hardships drive us to the Lord, but they're not to drive us to the Lord just to get him to heal us and react to us, they're to build the relationship. It's the relationship that he wants. And the last thing is the son came to give us the way to eternal life. This is nuts. Been dealing with a lot of people on mortality. This is another issue. 
I'm a pastor. I get it all, right? You know what I do? Lord, help me. I have no idea what to deal with. There's mortality. We confront our own mortality. None of us are getting out of here alive. I got news for you. What is the good news? You live forever. <laughs> you are immortal beings. I think about that through the life of Jesus, okay? Jesus came, came into ministry at 30, was executed at 33. He couldn't wait to leave. <laughs> he knew where he came from, right? He knew that world. And he didn't like this world and was looking for an exit strategy as soon as he could get it. As soon as he could get an exit plan, he was on it. Yeah? Yeah? said, Peter, you cannot, come to, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. We will follow the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Life eternal. You know what we're in? We're in, a, we're in a, a sack of tissue and blood. Living beings inside of, a inside of a mortal body. The Bible calls our body nothing more than a tent. We put off the tent. It's like taking off a jacket. We step into eternity, and Jesus opened that way for us. In my Father's house, there are many Aranos. There are many realms within my Father's immortal kingdom. If it were not so, I would have told you. If everlasting life were not so, I would have told you so. You will live forever, with him or without him. You will be bound to the iniquity of Adam if you reject Christ, and the iniquity of Adam is bound to none other than Lucifer himself. And Lucifer will be cast into the lake of fire. And all those who are bound unto him, Adam's line and those who've rejected Christ are bound unto Lucifer. And they will be thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus isn't sending them to hell. He's throwing them there. My wife hates it when I say that, but I point out the text. And do you know why? Because they've mocked and rejected so great a salvation. They've mocked and rejected the king of glory. And the Bible says they trample the blood of Christ underfoot and treat it as a common thing. And it says, when man does that and they treat the blood of Jesus as a common thing, there remains nothing except the fear of impending judgment. To reject Christ, there's no other option. Buddha's not saving you. L. Ron Hubbard's not saving you. Osha, Deepak Chopra, they're not saving you. The only one who can save is the light of the world who came into this world to give his life away. Fact. And you must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. You see, there's no such thing as a closet Christian. There's no such thing as a closet Christian. The early church had to declare it publicly with word and with baptism. Baptism meant execution. Go get baptized in Saudi Arabia publicly and tell me if it doesn't mean execution. We have cultures in this world today that the sword hangs over the Christian's head if they were to get publicly commit to Christ. But Jesus requires a public commitment. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. You will not hide this. Right? If you confess me before men, what? Come on. Some of y'all know it. But if you deny me before men, you I will deny before my Father. Do you know what I say? I say, Jesus, 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 Jesus is Lord now and forever. Amen. If you've never received Jesus, today's your day. This is the best Christmas present you could ever receive in your life. <laughs> this is the gift that keeps on giving. 
It carries forward and forward and forward. And do you know what this gift does? Never leaves you. Even if you go back to the pig slop, the Father will always welcome you home. Every single time. Every single time. Some of you, you've tested the boundaries of this faith, and you've followed Jesus, and you've gone and lived, lived among the pigs. And then you think, God will never take me back. As soon as you come back, immediately the restoration's there. It was waiting for you the whole time. He brings you right back in, puts the robe and the ring right back on your fingers, never denies you as his son or daughter, never denies it. Prodigal's identity was never denied. Repentance was received, but he never denied the prodigal's identity. He said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. He didn't even let those words come out of his mouth. He rehearsed a speech that he didn't even get to say. He said, I've sinned against heaven and earth. And the father's like, yep, you have. And I'm no longer. And he stopped him right there. He said, bring the robe and put it on him. Father will never allow you to deny an identity that he's given you. He will never allow it. You're a son and you're a daughter. Live like it. You're loved and accepted. Live like it. Stop living as common when you're exceptional. Stop living as foolish when you're royal. See yourself as heaven sees you. So understand who you are and what you are and why you are and live like that and life will change for you. If you've never received Jesus, here's a prayer. We're going to do a 40-second prayer that opens up your heart. I can't open your heart, but you can. I can give you the words. The Bible says believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. All you got to do is open up your heart. Open up your heart and lay hold. You don't have to understand. You just got to grab it. So open your heart and grab this prayer and pray it out with me. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. And if you did that, come on, we congratulate you. Merry Christmas. For those of you all that are here, we have a prayer team available. So if you need prayer for anything, you can go and um, we, will, we will definitely pray for you. And then tonight we have a candlelight service. So it will be some worship, short message, and then some candlelight op, uh, moment uh, for Jesus. So bring your family. It's a nice experience for all of us to come. That's it. What time is that at? Five? Five o'clock. All right. Amen. Let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, if you want to sponsor a child with India, you can still do that over there on the, at the counter. <laughs>